2: Welcome to the Big Interview World Cup Q&A show I'm Martin Gregg and with me today are Graham Hunter, host of the Big Interview and our guest for these shows, La Liga TV's Pete Jensen We have questions as always from our socios who support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter We want to welcome a few new socios this month Neil Dunworth, David Beavers and Ian Barry This episode goes out to you guys, thanks for signing up And our first questions are from two socios First one, social Richard Cook He says, Thank you for all the wonderful content during a fabulous World Cup. I wanted to know about the pressure Messi and Argentina squad collectively had to deal with. Losing that opening game, brackets just like Spain in 2010, close brackets, and carrying that burden through a good run of fixtures. Do you think the fact they could have been out on match day two fed the desire? I'd be interested in your thoughts and comparisons between the two runs. 2010 for Spain and this year for Argentina. And before you answer that, we've got socio Diana Yao, who says, I was actually on a cruise holiday with my family and many on board were watching Argentina's defeat to Saudi Arabia at the group stages and cheered at the result. Few would have expected Argentina to come out as World Cup champions at that point. Even in hindsight, did you expect Argentina to bounce back and win it all? And we'll just tie all this up with Fawaz on Twitter, who says, Did the tournament's eventual outcome seem inevitable at any point? So, Graham, I want to start with you because I was watching the excellent BBC documentary How to Win the World Cup yesterday, there's a good 20 minutes which focuses on um, the rise of Spain culminating obviously in the 2010 World Cup win um, and it showed footage of that Switzerland game I think the exact scene was um, Steiner ploughing through Iniesta uh, yeah. in that game and it's yeah. funny because my mind did go back to that game when Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia just, you know, obviously Argentina had had this fabulous unbeaten run and it did come into my mind, is this just an aberration and can they do a, a Spain 2010? Did your mind go there after that first defeat?
1: Uh, uh, first of all, good morning, hello, good evening to uh, Richard and Diana and Fawaz. Uh, thank you very much for, for contributing. Thanks for, for sharing your questions. I, I'll tell you, I, I, I won't take a side angle to this, but I was working... um, all of you probably know by now particularly if you're listening to the World Cup podcasts that um, Spain at this World Cup and Argentina were wholly adjacent in terms of Qatar University um, accommodation Um, uh, Spain were in the women's quarters, Argentina were in the men's quarters, make of that precisely what you wish they were on adjacent training pitches, it really is an enormous complex some of the FIFA officials um, actually just took Wanders what are walking or motorized scooters and occasionally cars between the the two training facilities if there were FIFA officials who had to to be working with the same with the two different groups of players in a day and I met a, a man called Stephen Dawson who who was working for FIFA but in his day was um, a, a part of the director at FC Barcelona particularly during the uh, Renaissance of of the first Laporta era and and Stephen who now lives in the same little village as uh, Luis Enrique, just outside um, Barcelona. I'd bumped into a man called Pepe Costa. That It may well be that Pete knows better than me, but Pepe Costa was part of the office of the attention to the player, it's called. That's a really literal translation, so I'm quite sure Pete will be able to do a better one than that. When Messi was growing as a young footballer at Football Club Barcelona, really in his in his initial seasons... And gradually, the two men became so attached because Pepe Costa's role was to fix everything, to make sure if there was a problem with the bank, if there was a problem with the car, if they wanted to have a dinner somewhere, blah, blah, blah. Just the million things that that modern-day multi-millionaire, billionaire footballers need done for them. Pepe Costa became a complete appendage to the Messi entourage and then became a really close, trusted friend and confidant and, and left Barcelona at the same time as Messi and went to Paris Saint-Germain and was with them in the Argentina camp. So this Spaniard, Pepe Costa, was, was on Messi's orders, assumed straight into the entire AFA uh, group. And Stephen, having known Pepe Costa, mentioned to him after the Saudi Arabia defeat, look the precious on and Pepe Costa, remember... Closer still than Aguero, closer to anybody than anybody to Messi, apart from his family, Antonella, the the three kids, the mum and dad were there separately, the brothers, etc. Pepe Costa said, yeah, they've talked about this. We've talked about this, meaning the players have talked about it. He and Messi have talked about it. Spain have done it. We'll do it. That thing about Spain being the only team when they won it to have lost the first game and lifted the trophy then and and the only team since and according to Pepe Costa there was a complete confronting of the the situation and as much as they were pissed off at losing and I said at the time that it felt to me like a game where they, they played reasonably well two astonishing goals they they didn't defend on the goals particularly well at full-back, and it's interesting how over the tournament the right-back position was, was rotated between three men, depending on the needs of the game. It didn't make it inevitable that they were going to cope with the pressure. Simply uh, the fact that teammates, men that Messi knew really well and, and counted as friends, Pique Puyol, Xavi, Iniesta, Pedri, um, Busquets, Vitor had been through exactly that experience and shown yet it it doesn't really fundamentally matter if you then raise your game for the remaining two plus six games. On on what Diana said, again, because we were in a a Muslim country, a a Middle East country in in Qatar, when I was watching, we, we were working on the day of the game and therefore I only managed to see about 35 minutes of the second half. And to come into it on a screen where it didn't have either the time clock or the score, I asked these these local people what the score was, and they were two one. I was like, "Oh, Argentina!" Like, no, no, Saudi Arabia. And they were che- like you said on the cruise down, and they were cheering every kick. They were they they were an assortment of nationalities and cultures, but predominantly they were Muslim, and they they were they were absolutely thrilled. Obviously, there there's been massive bad feeling between the states of Qatar and Saudi Arabia. But I couldn't speak to what each set each population feels about the other, except they, they knew they had a shared culture, they shared religion, and there was a there was a fanaticism about the way in which they were like, these boys in green, I'm sure Saudi Arabia were playing, are are us, they're one of us. And it wasn't anti-Argentina or anti-Messi. It was like, this is incredible, this is this is a dream come true for us. And and it was really startling to watch. It makes me sound stupid because I should have anticipated that it would be like that. But I think to, to confront the, the, the whole subject of losing a game and winning the tournament, I think in in sport, once anything's been done, competitive men and women say, I can do that too, just across the board in any situation. It doesn't mean they will, but it's easier to... to address a situation that history says is going against you. And I think Fawaz, if I'm not wrong, Martin said, did, did it feel ine- inevitable? I'm going to take the Frank Lampard position on that. When they won that um, title in, in Bayern Munich's backyard, beating the Germans in the Allianz, having beaten Barcelona, really in, in a in a match where they probably could have been knocked out early on, Barcelona down to 10, Fernando Torres' breakaway goal, through they go. They changed managers mid um, after the defeat in Napoli where they were horsed and they changed to Roberto Di Matteo and they have to draw ties back against both them and I think Benfica or Sporting Lisbon, I think maybe Sporting Lisbon. Anyway, a lot of people talked about the way it was Drogba's last game and, and you know uh, uh, he gives away the penalty then he scores the winning penalty, he gets the header at the end and people talk about it was fated to be and Lampard rejected that really strongly bollocks it was meant to be in fate and that's what I felt about this tournament I genuinely, if Spain didn't win it I wanted Messi to lift the tournament and and basically say there you are, up you to the the doubters and the rest of the world but I think if you start saying things like that destiny or fated, it it negates the amount of work and stress that that you three have all been talking about and I didn't feel it was inevitable (laughs) anybody who thinks it was fated and therefore it was just part of a grand plan that you know, Messi should score a goal for three two, where the French are saying it should be ruled out because there were subs on the pitch by the time it was scored, or there's a handball. I think from Upamecano when when the penalty gets conceded off Mbappe's shot for three three. I don't think that's that's. Fair. I think it's the part of the beautiful lottery, deadly lottery of elite level sport, and. I think this is a tournament that had to be won, that had to be wrenched away from history, rather than gifted to him by fate. Is, if I was, is the way I feel about it.
0: Yeah, I it certainly didn't look inevitable. In fact, you, Argentina looked like the great lie of the World Cup in the first two games. I thought, um, you know, who the hell had they played on this wonderful run of of thirty five games unbeaten coming coming into the tournament, and and I <clears throat> I doubted that they could. I mean. You, you always suspect if a team scores seven in their first game, they're not going to win it. I thought it was bad news for Spain, the result against Costa Rica, and similarly with England's win against Iran. And I suppose the reverse is true. You think, OK, as Spain did, so Argentina can do, and, and certainly come back from this. But what I doubted was Scaloni's um, capacity to be brave, because he needed to, to, to say to certain players who he'd been very loyal to, up until second, third, fourth game of the tournament, that you're not you're not starting. And I didn't I didn't think he would do that. Um, um, and actually, he was loyal to Depaul, and and Depaul was the worst of the of, of the lot in in the first game, first maybe game and a half. Um, and certainly, the reaction in Spain watching the games here was um, you know this guy has been playing terribly all season for Atletico Madrid. He's taken that form into the tournament. You really need to to not play him, and he played him right until the end. And in the end, he was he was vindicated. So I think huge credit to Scaloni for bringing in um, um, uh, Enzo Fernandez, um, and um, then he brought. In, I mean, the the the, 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 st- the st- one of the stars of the show in in the end, McAllister in midfield, and then finally Jul- Julio Alvarez. Those three just emerging, not having any, any any of them started the first match, and that was to his enormous credit. And I thought Scaloni was brave right up until the final because I think in the final. Um, I expected him to play with the back five and he didn't. He was bold. It was pretty much 4-3-3. Clever from him with Di Maria on the opposite flank, pinning, um, uh, running at, at Koundé, knowing that Koundé was going to get zero help from Dembélé. I, I thought he was brilliant, Scaloni, throughout the entire tournament. Um, I-, I-, I wondered what the hell he was doing in the final when he took so long to make the changes because it-, it seemed obvious to all of us watching that Argentina were dead on their feet and France weren't. Um, but I thought his bravery was the reason why they were able to turn around that you know, that awful start and, and, and to get to the final. but have you ever known a team have to suffer so much to win a World Cup? I mean Graham would know in terms of the, in terms of comparing it to Spain in two thousand and ten Graham would know better than me but i don 't have the memory that Spain suffered as much. Argentina suffered in almost every game in Austra- against australia that they, they suffered against Holland they suffered. And you know Messi coming into the tournament, he's never won a World Cup. He had to win it three times. You know they win it. They're, they're, they're two 0 up. There's a, there's a, there's an image of him looking up at the what what presumably was the scoreboard. Um, uh, sorry, what presumably was the, the stadium clock? I mean, presumably there is a stadium clock at the Lusalle Stadium. Um, and he glances up at it when it's two 0 Um, you know, thinking, okay, ten minutes of doing it. And 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 then France level. And then he wins it again, and and we all think, oh, this is just incredible. You know, Lionel Messi scores the winning goal a few minutes from time uh, in extra t- uh, time of the final, and and then they, you know, France equalise again, and then he has to win it for a third time in the penalty shootout. So no team, I think, ever has suffered more um, to to win the trophy. And um, and just going back to that documentary, that the 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 BBC documentary that you mentioned. I'm pretty sure, and Graham will correct me, but I'm pretty sure Graham was down to interview Iniesta for that documentary, um, and he he couldn't do it, and he very generously passed it on to me, and I and I did the, the Iniesta interview, asking the questions for the BBC, um, and obviously the main question was, you know, how, what do you need to win a World Cup? What's the secret recipe? And and what Iniesta didn't say was, you know, you need defenders who will get every single challenge right, you need a goalkeeper who's, a, who's an absolute giant and then grows another few inches in the penalty shootouts you need three players who don't even start the first game to emerge and become stars of the tournament, you need your talisman to have his greatest tournament ever at the age of 35 you need the talisman's, talisman's best friend who's only a year younger to have his greatest tournament even though he's you know he's injured most of the time, he can only play an hour of the final you, you know, they, they had to draw on so many different resources to win it um, and, you know, it's to it's, it's their huge credit that, that they were able to do that.
2: I think we'll follow on from, from that question because, Pete, you mentioned the um, Argentina subs or lack of subs in the final. And that is the focus of a couple of questions, actually. Um, first from social Tom Lee. What on earth was wrong with France in the final? It was almost had shades of Ronaldo 98, the mystery bug that seemed to have left the players listless and lifeless, only for them to burst into life when it was almost too late. What an odd display for an hour. What peculiar but almost inspired first half subs. What a sh- superhuman display from Mbappé. What a final second spurning of a World Cup winning one-on-one opportunity. Bizarre. And then Stephen Headley on Twitter says, Do you think that Deschamps should have made his first two substitutions earlier? Um, and then just to follow on to that as well, Claire W on Twitter, should Scaloni have made subs earlier? Uh, it seemed like Argentina were tiring and he only made one sub in l- regulation. Maybe the late drama could have been avoided with fresher legs. So yeah, the whole question of of the subs, Pete, um, maybe you want to take on the uh, and flesh out the, the, the Argentina one, whether they could have actually um, freshened things up and avoided the, the, the madness. Yeah, I mean, I, I,
0: I thought, I, I, I wondered if he'd frozen. You know, like even the greatest managers, at times they just freeze in the moment, and and the brain stops. You know, the the cogs stop turning. And he's got this amazing technical team, hasn't he, behind him? I think Graham has mentioned it before with with Walter, the Wall, Samuel, Samuel, and, and um, Ayala and, and Ima. I mean, those 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 four would would have got in the Qatar team now. You know, let alone be the be the be the Argentina argentina's technical team um and you know why was no one jumping out from the bench and and, and, and urging him to make the changes and, and in the end he finally lautaro comes on and, and Lautaro does enough I think we're going to talk about a bit later about him a bit later I mean he kind of does enough to make an impact albeit with the shot that's saved and Messi turns it in um in terms of, um, of France, their peculiar first half performance. I mean, we'll ne- we will we will eventually find out, won't we, if if, if there was some sort of uh, uh, you know the extent to which they weren't physically right. I mean, the, the story I'm sure will emerge, and, and and Griezmann in particular, who had been so brilliant throughout every round, just seemed to be to, to be anonymous um, in that first half. But I don't think you can underestimate how. Uh, how Argentina got it right in terms of team selection, going back to the point I made with the first question. I think most people expected um, Scaloni to be a little bit cautious, to play five at the back, to not risk Di Maria, who clearly wasn't properly fit, um, you know, to play the extra centre-back. And, and, and maybe that, to a certain extent, is what, Des- what Deschamps was expecting. Um, and they didn't do that. They were very much on the front foot. You know, the decision to play Di Maria and to play him on the other side caught France out, I thought... And, and France, there was always a potential weakness with the French midfield because, um, as good as tor- a good as a tournament, he, he had Griezmann, um, him, Rabiot, and uh, Chalméni. I mean, Chalméni was quite exposed a, a lot of the time in the, in the earlier games, and it didn't matter because of, of the quality of the opposition. I think England going into their game with France were were very hopeful that they would overwhelm France in midfield because that midfield three was never going to get a lot of support um, from from Mbappe who who, who I think thinks that he doesn't have to run and, and Dembele who's deluded and thinks the same thing. Um so you know I thought they were they were completely swamped in in midfield in the first half and um uh, and in the end they responded and and they were they were very strong off the bench and they were they were stronger in in extra time and and yeah that was the moment when I just wondered what exactly Scaloni was was waiting for.
1: Yeah it's 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 a fascinating point. Thank you to everybody who's all of you that sent in those questions. And I, I, I'm chastising myself because when a team <clears throat> loses and you can post-analyze it like a Monday morning quarterback, it's all so much easier. But when they win and you've still got quibbles to to quote Blackadder, no, that was wibble. Um, you you think to yourself, well, careful now because was Scaloni thinking? No, these guys are the ones I've trusted. They'll see it out. it's okay they'll handle it to back him up a little bit you know when we all now retrospectively think well Argentina were really tiring they they were the one that really managed to 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 react best to going into extra time and and get the the goal to poke from ahead again I, I think retrospectively because I was caught up in the moment too when you look at neither Foy nor Lissandro, nor Palacios, nor Guido being tapped on the shoulder. Uncle Correa I feel sorry for because clearly what he can do if France are pressing, we've seen it for Atleti a lot. He, he's, he's a debilidad. Uh, he's a player that Pete and I, Martin Neal, we've all got our fondness for. But you understand why, given how Alvarez has been playing, the fact that Lautaro in his way, although he's not a player, I, I appreciate that much, did consistently contribute when he came on, whether it be a winning penalty or whether it be the setup for the third goal, etc. France, I find a different story. There may be great stories coming out and saying, yeah, this virus that hurt Rabio so much and up on so much and it, it did leave us all feel like, you know, wobbly ghosts of ourselves, that, that may come out. But what I saw w- w- was was two things. One, <clears throat> in the World Cup, France hadn't been hit by early sucker punches at any stage. They'd lost to Tunisia, but that was a goal after half time. They, they didn't get, you know, smacked around in a first half and concede two goals. And I saw a team that was looking short of identity and understanding. And that's why I liked the fact that Deschamps reacted. There, there are games in which I'd like to see Dembele substitute before he starts the match because... You know, I've rarely, genuinely rarely, since Walker McCall played for Aberdeen, there's rarely been a footballer that has frustrated me so much because when it's his day, it's it's scintillating. there are very few players that he resembles and, and it can be magical. And the rest of the time he's an arse. It, it, he he's got sawdust for brains, he's he's sort of <laughs> with a straw hat and a and a little piece of wheat sticking out of his a shark, you know, a little stem of wheat, and just he's just walking down the the country lane, going, "Isn't life wonderful?" What do you mean, pressure, tracking, reaction, accurate pass, first touch? Don't let the ball roll, roll out of play. It, I I don't know what's inside there, but you know, it would have been Tex Avery or some of these brilliant cartoon men in Tom and Jerry, who, if you could open them, belly's brain, you, you'd see the strangest things. Not everything's connected, and yet when it clicks, it's beautiful, but he should have been taken off before Deschamps acted. Yet I'm still going to say I thought Deschamps was was brave. Not only did he take off uh, two players, and when you look at the power and pace that was brought on, it it, it might have taken them a long time to get the dividends, but you could immediately see the way in which it was stopping Argentina uh, flooding forward, probably both from the fullback positions, but also the, the, the midfield positions, there was now a, a, a fear that if we lose the ball, there is an extra speed and verticality to France. And it was two players who, given the way that they uh, performed, ne- it's clear neither of them was suffering from any virus because they made the difference between what had been on in blue before they, they came on and what happened afterwards seemed really clear. I don't think either of them is in the elite of that French squad. Now, this World Cup has been... Uh, really important for Moani to to develop. It's unbelievable that he comes from the same sort of semi-village or, or suburb as and Mbappé does, what was in the water there. But I saw, like Pete, I saw a much greater connection between the France in the final, Tom, than, and, and France, say, against England, or in games where... I think it would be hypocritical of us to say this is a team that knew how to win and didn't dazzle us and, and played in moments. I, I saw a bigger connection between the final and that than necessarily the France performance in the final and, and, and they were all out on their feet because of a virus. And what's more, we have to be careful what we wish for. If France don't look flat and grey and out of it and don't go 2-0 down, you know, we don't get the extraordinary drama of the comeback. We, we, we don't get what we're all now talking about as one of the great games of football of the entire history of professional football. And therefore, I'm not going to complain too much. I, I do think that Scaloni possibly trusted too long, but ultimately he got it right. Ultimately, this is his first coaching position, really, you know, properly senior level. OK, he'd taken the juniors with Argentina, but I I think, again, I, I, I'd go for the Pete Jensen position on this. Scaloni's understanding as a man-manager and his ability to cope with the, the wide range of, so what is it now, one defeat in 42, I think, or, or there or thereabouts. We'll all agree it's there or thereabouts. His understanding of how to cope with different types of competition, different climates, different pitches, di- evolving squads, has been little short of exemplary. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to prove to be one of the geniuses of all time because I think across what we've read of him and what we've seen of him, he's, he's a guy who takes a fairly, you know, meat and two veg approach to if things are in front of me and, and look obvious, I'm not going to overcomplicate it. And there's a beauty in that.
0: There, there's a great, I, I mean, of all the, the footage and the great, the great pictures and the great videos that, that emerged from the final, I don't know if you two have seen the um, the Scaloni on the bench when when they win it. I mean, well, he's not on the bench; he's on the touchline. Montiel's penalty goes in, and he just he just he's, he's in a he's he's, he's he's in a trance, and he just goes back and he sits on the bench, and all around him is chaos and celebrations, um, and he's very expressionless. Um, and I, something provokes the tears, doesn't it? I think it's Paredes. I think Paredes comes across to him and embraces him, and then he just he just goes. He just goes at all levels and, and starts to cry. And it's
1: yeah. In fairness, Pete, I, I think he starts crying because he, as Paredes is running towards him. He thinks- <laughs> fuck it, he's going <laughs> to punch me or kick the ball at
2: me or something like
1: that. And when he when he gives him a great big clasping hug, he th- he, I think he's going to thank the Lord for that. Very I thought right, I was right, dead right, there. No yeah. the front.
2: OK, it's time for a break. We'll be back in a moment with a couple more questions to complete part one of this month's World Cup Q&A. a
1: Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to OSEAMalibu.com and use code MOM.
2: And we're back with a question from socio Chris Hennigan. Hi, Graham and Pete. Where from here for Argentina and Messi? Another tilt at the Copa America now seems likely for the wee genius, but there's a lot of work to be done with that side. I don't see De Paul, uh, Debala and Di Maria as part of the future dominating tournaments for years to come. And Latauro Martinez clearly needs to step up at international level. Here's another one from Tim Jenkins. What part of Messi's evolution has given you the biggest inner smile? And do you, do you see him in the 2026 squad list for the Albi Celeste? So interesting about the... I guess the evolution of this Argentina squad, boys, and the future of Messi. I think Messi said after the game that he, he's going to keep playing. Um, but but where are they at? Where is he at? Is this their crowning glory, or, or you know, do you see them being able to go on from here and, and dominate more tournaments in the future?
1: Well, about to to I'll be quick here. About to Pete because he spent much much more time in South America than me, and I think understands the pulse of that continent um, much better. And, and I say South America rather than Argentina because the next big thing for Messi to tilt out in a blue and white jersey, if he chooses to, is the Copa America. And um, that's not this summer coming, but the one after. And frankly, if you look at the nick he's in in this World Cup, particularly in, in terms of motivation, not just physically, and if you look at the way in which the the squad has been taught to play with him, not just for him, but with him. And, and because Pete and I have spent so much time around the camp now as Messi's grown up and evolved and become the greatest, the, the list of players who haven't been able to adapt to him and understand him, meet his measure, earn his respect, that list is very, very long. And therefore... There's something here which needs not to be discarded. And I genuinely think, Chris, that one of the the ways to answer your question properly, because I cannot pretend to say, don't worry, I'm going to list eight under-21 players who are immediately going to be be blooded in over the next 10 months and Argentina will run away with the Copa America. One, where now for Argentina massively depends on how long Messi wants to stay as the leader and stay playing. The, the, the counterpoint to Messi saying well it was really nice it was a really cool way you know if they'll have me I think I'll stay around for a few games he doesn't say you know forget retirement or I'm here to the next World Cup he said he didn't see himself at the next World Cup but let's hold our breath on that one and wait because I think we'll find out soon I, I, I think that Argentina's evolution as a footballing squad can't be talked about until we know exactly how long Messi thinks he's good for I spoke to somebody yesterday at length who works with Messi and he said, look, his his motivation, not since lifting that trophy, but his motivation this season, where I think he scored 12 and made 14 for Paris Saint-Germain in 19 games. So he was registering numbers. Okay, it's a bit of a gulliver amongst the Lilliputians for Paris Saint-Germain in League One, but they don't win all the time. They do stumble against teams and he's nicked up, whatever it would what I say, six, 26 goal tr- contributions in 19 games, plus seven goals and three assists for Argentina. He's, he's registering numbers that are astonishing. And therefore his next step, if you take it like dominoes, his next step is, do I feel motivated? And, and the, the, the work socio of his that I talked to said he's still massively motivated so if he's staying on Argentina's development and their move towards the Copa America and even their move towards the the World Cup is somewhat dependent on on him because for as long as he's playing and wants to be the dominant one they need to keep going in the manner they have on and off the pitch planning when they use him when they don't use him when they let him rest Communication between Scaloni and him, Scaloni buffering Messi from the Argentina Football Association, which has been a problem in the past, and it's one of the things that Scaloni has managed to do. He's become a buffer to them. Brilliant. And the last thing I'd say is we so enjoyed that um, on Sunday. But I go back to the last Copa America final and, and I keep talking about it. I don't know how many people that listen to this feed watched it, but it was it was brutal. It was ridiculous. Argentina kicked their way to that title in the final. Smash Neymar, protect Messi, and we'll get a goal. And it wasn't, I didn't think it resembled the World Cup final in any way whatsoever because it was Brazil and Argentina. And we were waiting for the showdown again in this tournament and we didn't get it. We'll talk about that in a minute. There'll be qualification matches before the Copa America, I, I, I suspect. I think Brazil and Argentina may meet before the Copa America. If they don't, then we're, we're, we're hanging on the wire for Brazil and Argentina, the rematch, the revenge for the Copa America, for the fact that Argentina are now triple champions. So in terms of evolution and in terms of trying to get in Messi's head, I can fully understand the idea that he thinks I, I can still do this. By At 37, with the right conditioning, with the right motivation, the right people around me, I can still do this and I want to stick it up Brazil again. I. I, I think it's feasible, but if any of us sat here today and said we know for sure, we'd be dirty liars, wouldn't we?
0: I think he. W- I think he wants to win it again without the tunic on. I think he wants to win it without the without the gown. Get, just get a <laughs> get a cleaner shot. Can we do it again and just get a cleaner shot at the end without the? <clears throat> the um, Chris and Tim, there was there was there's some good chat to come out of um, an interview with Valdano. Um, that I don't know if it's aired over here or not yet but apparently um Valdano said to Messi during the interview um, yeah it's to make it clear Valdano interviewed Messi um, and he says to him, he says this is your fifth um, world cup no one's ever done no one's ever managed six and during the interview Messi's like well yeah i mean it's, who's who can possibly do six and then at the end of the interview uh, off mike Messi says listen if we win it then i'll keep the jersey on until until 2026 in other words if we go and win it then Whoa. now you know i think i think the mood messi's mood will, will will change a lot over the next four years and obviously now he's on a high to to to, to go through with that and to, to not he doesn't seem to have any plans to to retire imminently and why would you of having just been man in the tournament uh, and as graham says it's the copa america first 2024 i mean the, the temptation for us is kind of you know commentators of the sport is to say no just drop the mic just walk off the stage that's it i mean you especially if at the end of the season he wins the champions league again with, with psg um but if you're in messy shoes, why would you do that why would you walk away when when clearly you you, you still can do it and, and you and and any doubts over his his physical shape i mean what he does to, to poor old Guardiola in the in the game against croatia you know the best defender one of the best central defenders in the tournament um so you know, and, and completely agree with Graham. In, that in terms of what Argentina do next, it entirely depends on Messi. For as long as Messi's there, everything obviously has to be around him. And post Messi, I mean, I I I'm a I like Let, letaro and I I think despite the fact that he was ditched um, for for the far more mobile and the far more Messi suitable, um, Alvarez. I, I think in in a post Messi world, he could come back and and they could be a decent pair. But you know you you know it's to compare that to what they have now with everything revolving around Messi. Obviously, there is no comparison.
2: So we've got so many questions to get through today, boys. So I'm going to make this one a quickfire one for you, Graham. This is Yazdan Basir, who says, "Hey, Graham and Cole, long-time listener and lifelong fan of FC Barcelona and Messi. I cried my heart out when he won, but I have a darker question. What do you think of Messi's partnership with Saudi Arabia?" And how will he be used and how he will be used as the face of whatever they look to promote next in football?
1: Uh, okay, yeah, I'll go quick on this. Yes, Dan, I, I can't be a hypocrite. I w- was angry about the way in which Qatar landed the World Cup. I was furious about the way in which they and FIFA conspired to move it from the promised summer tournament that shouldn't have been in their country. I'm sorry to say, but it shouldn't. I'm thrilled. I am genuinely, from my heart outwards, thrilled that that region has now got an inspiration for kids to go and play football. I quote often, and I stick to the fact that Xavi at Aspire Academy in Qatar said, one of the things that I'm able to do over here is help encourage people to play sport at any level so that we fight the obesity crisis over here. Fantastic. Do I think that countries in in that Gulf region shouldn't have exposure to elite level tournaments? No, I think. Thoroughly believe that they should be on the same footing as Russia or Mexico or South Africa, places that, you know, we, we see tournaments regularly. I just think that it was not won legitimately. I fundamentally believe that the move to the winter was wrong. And once we got to Qatar, it's interesting that the media across the world is learning to say, we have issues with this, and I wish I'd seen more of that in Russia. I hope there'll be more of that when it comes to the North American and Central America World Cup in four years' time. Am I disappointed that Xavi and Sidan, uh, for example, were ambassadors for Qatar despite the way it was won? D- did, it, w- did it sit badly with me sitting in Qatar, working or watching TV, watching on the game, and seeing Messi advertise the beauties and the, the wonders of Saudi Arabia, given what happened in the Turkish embassy, yes, it disappointed me. I wish that that all elite sportsmen and women took different choices based upon morals, but I feel like I'm, I'm pissing in the wind.
2: OK, the final question for part one of the Q&A this month goes to Terry Hassett from Twitter, who says, do you think Brazil were immature in this World Cup? Did they have the same focus as Argentina? Three minutes to go, 1-0 up, seven men go forward. The ball is lost, five of the seven don't bust the gut to get back. It doesn't look like a mature, focused or well-led group. So he's obviously referencing the the Croatia game here. Just by the by, that that Neymar strike was one of my goals of the tournament, by the way. I thought that was amazing and kind of gets a bit forgotten about, but to play two-one-twos and then get in front of the defender and then put it in the roof of the net we thought it was amazing but the pick of his equaliser is is astonishing um, Brazil also stretched there was maybe like five-on-five five in the Brazil box at that stage and um, it's an interesting point that, that Terry makes does that does that suggest a failure in, in game management to be that stretched at that stage of the game
0: <clears throat> yeah it's meant to be the other way around isn't it I think Tite's game plan really was you know we'll defend with six and we'll we'll attack with four um, and is, and um, yeah, it was it was just four at the back, and, and six have flown forward. You mentioned the Neymar goal, and it was brilliant. But I just get the feeling that Neymar remains part of the problem um, because he's the leader, and because everyone looks to him, um, and he doesn't provide the sort of leadership that you need to win a major tournament, um, to win a World Cup, and. You know, Think about the, the penalty shootout. Why doesn't Neymar take the first penalty? Um, why does he wait, presumably, to take the glory penalty at the end to, to take the last one? Um, and I just feel that Brazil needs to start building things around other individuals, particularly Vinicius. Um, and they have that Vinicius-Rodrigo connection, which, which happens every week at, at, at club level. So I think maybe that will be a hurdle that they won't get over until we enter a, a, a sort of post Neymar period. we fascinated to see who the new manager is, ahead of the um, premiere of um, The Phenomenon, the brilliant film about um, Ronaldo winning it 20 years ago. Um, I had the chance with lots of other journalists to interview him and, he, and we put the question to him, would you like Guardiola to take, uh, to take charge of the Brazil team? And of course the, the answer was absolutely yes, I would, yep. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but I hope. Um, moving on to a, a wider point about Brazil going forward, I, I hope that we we get a little bit of the old Brazil back. I know that football's changed, and I know it's you know not it's not 1970 anymore. It's not even 1982 anymore. Um, but I was. Sad to, I was sad to see a Brazil team who's full with with the fullbacks that, that don't cross the halfway line. But for all the flair individually that they had, Brazil it still wasn't the it wasn't the unit the, the attacking unit that, that, that they used to have. And I hope we go back to that. Um, but that's not why they, they they were knocked out by Croatia. Um, you know, they were knocked out by the Croatia because of uh, by Croatia because of a a lack of of game management. Absolutely. And I just feel that Neymar symbolizes. Um, that lack of of seriousness that you that you really need to to win a World Cup. T- T-
1: Terry's practically a Brazilian now, and I need to say um, one: it's 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 a story that has been submerged by the impact of the World Cup. But Brazil had Pep Guardiola; he was so so close to doing that deal and taking over until City persuaded him. That was going to be, and, and will in the future still be, I think we'll have Pep Guardiola managing Brazil at some stage, but that deal after Tite resigned was practically uh, done. It now isn't, <laughs> it's water under the bridge, it accounts for why Ronaldo Nazario said the manager we've, we've got coming in, plays beautiful football, lovely football, that was so close to being done. Terry, I don't think there's any question about the naivety you talk about, but we some of us, not you, we we can't have our cake and eat it. The people still eulogise that 82 side I was at that tournament and everybody, you know, adored the way they played until they got unpicked by Italy in, in Espanyol's old stadium, Can And yet, it, you know, it's the subject of all lilting Celtic ballads and poetry, isn't it? What might have been. We love what might have been and... Brazil in this tournament tried to play the same football as 1970, tried to play the same football as as 1982. And if we just crap on that outright, then I think we're doing them a disfavour. But my impression, and this is now opinion, not, not factual analysis, not based on superior knowledge. When they danced, I loved it. I don't always, but that game against South Korea was so extraordinary. The way in which they didn't simply take them apart. The way in which they scored those goals was was sumptuous. It's the type of thing that you would bring Mozart back to write a theme tune to, because it was just the height of human sporting endeavour. And when they danced, and then when they danced with Tice, you're like, wow, they, this is a communion. This is lovely. And most people would have taken the Roy Keane position about... You know, I don't give two fucks about disrespectful to the opposition. I really, I do not give two fucks about that. Unless it's, you know, unless it's something heinous. It was beautiful what was going on, but I, in my opinion, it was a symbol of them thinking, this is ours. This is one. We can't be stopped. We're unbeatable. And I think that that somehow subconsciously was a part of their, their endorphins in, in the game against Croatia because they were caught with their pants down. They did look like a schoolboy team. It was so silly. One shot on target, a goal, and then out on penalties. You don't give Croatia a sniff. You know, if they're Glenn Close, you, you know, you, you, you pour molten concrete on the bath before you walk away from it. Do you know what I'm saying? And therefore, Cherry, what do we do? And I didn't answer Tim Jenkins properly. Tim, the messy thing about um, which part, it's impossible to say. Which part you enjoy more? The fact that he beat you know, growth hormone problems. The fact that when the English journalists based in England were saying he never scores against English teams and he heads the goal home against Manchester United. The, the, the fact that he overcomes brutal disappointment in 2014 and wins a World Cup now. The fact that he left in tears from Barcelona badly treated and he's reinvented himself in Paris and he's actually enjoying himself, although first year he hated it. He was like Napoleon on Elba. How to choose, Tim, how to choose? I'm just glad that he's sharing all of it. That's the part that he's chosen to continue sharing all of this mental, absolute beauty with us.
2: OK, I'm just going to squeeze in one final quick-fire question before we pull the curtain down on part one of the World Cup Q&A. This is from Honest Sixpence on Twitter, who says, was there less focus on pressing in this World Cup? There, there, there was,
1: in my opinion, because we, we've, we, we've pressed, it's a counter-press, it's press and We've pressed the life of our footballers since the pandemic. You know, what? we've just said, squeeze more, give more, take less time off. Coaches have recognised... That there is a tactic uh, in pressing that can win you games against lesser sides, but fewer of those in the World Cup are prone to being having the life pressed out of them. It's now become pressing in in specific moments rather than the, the flat out full court press that we that Pep took from basketball and introduced to his side that won the treble. It, it, it's now one less feasible to ask of players and. If Kane's your nine, can you really ask him to be part of a big press? Can we ask players who are absolutely physically and mentally at their extreme right now to be pressing all the time? It's tactical, timed pressing in certain areas. And I think the evolution is now more about what do you do with the ball if you've pressed and won it? How quickly do you use it? How quick are your transitions? How quickly do people react to how to transition well? And the other one that, that's a new trend is how to react when you've been pressed. I, th- I think we've evolved past simply full-court presses in football and I think it's become more time release about when to do it, more area release about when to do it and what to do with the ball once you've pressed and what to do when you've
0: been pressed and you've been robbed. Those are the evolutions I see. And, and not only was it a World Cup without pressing, it was a World Cup in which the, the two finalists had incorporated into their tactical system having a player who, who doesn't Closed down at all. I mean, Messi, as Graham brilliantly described in one of his um, one of his letters from Qatar, just goes a wondering when you know when, when possession when possession isn't with his team, or even on occasions when it is. Um, and Mbappe was the same for France. You don't have to, you know, your workload is, is minimal because we want you to do other things. So it was fa- it was fascinating to see to, to see the way that um, for now, yeah, um, pressing is not a thing.
2: Okay, that's it for part one of the World Cup Q&A. We'll be back with more from Graham and Pete in part two. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions, and thank you to you for listening. Bye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?